isn't distraction a crazy thing? Like we can sit and laugh at the mouse or rat, pick up the cheese or corn, whatever that is, right? Like, but we get so distracted all the time, do we not? Like there's a mission that Jesus is in the middle of and he's invited us to be a part of. But I don't know about you, but for me, I'm really distracted by thinking, well, just that, that one extra piece of corn, I really need that right now. Or maybe I'm distracted by the enemy and the cat that's sitting in the corner. But I believe that of all the things that Jesus told us, one thing specifically is to take your sweat rag off when you get ready to preach. <laughs> but the other thing he said, don't take yourself too seriously, take the mission seriously. The other thing he said, though, is this. I came with one purpose, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said all sorts of things, but he was very, very clear on his mission. Don't get distracted, church. There's going to be all sorts of distractions in your life to take your eye off the ball. And sometimes there's going to be things like more. If I just had one more kernel of corn, then I'd be happy. Sometimes it's going to be the enemy, but the enemy wants to seek to kill, divide, and destroy. i got to be afraid. Church, we've got to stay focused on what matters most, which is the mission of God. He was so clear in Luke chapter 4. He came to set the captives free. He came to make a way back to the Father when there was no other way. He says in Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, three parables on seeking and saving the lost. He came for the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost sons, older brother and younger brother. He said, I want to glorify my Father, and I want to make a way back for the family to come back to God. That is our mission. That is our focus. But the reality is, every one of us here can be distracted so easily, so quickly. And so I don't typically like using the pulpit as a public professional or confessional. But, but again, does anyone here just need to confess so we can get moving with the mission of God? Who gets distracted from the mission of God? Every one of us. And so on some level today, I'm not going to say anything new. I joke with our church all the time. Like I preach the same sermon every Sunday. Get off the throne of your heart. Fight for your joy in Jesus. Do it in the context of a communitas and then be sent ones. So on some level, nothing I'm going to say is new. I just get distracted so I need to be reminded. Amen? Yeah. Remember, amen just means, pastor, I'm not asleep. I'm awake. And also, I agree. And so today, we are here corporately as a family of God on some level to repent that every one of us at times has taken our eye off of the mission of God. And so today, as we get ready to step into fall, as we finish this series, this whole summer, we've been doing a series called The Most Important Thing About You. It's what you think about when you think about God. It's not about you at all. It's about God. It's about what he's doing. It's about remembering his gospel, that in the beginning, he created you and I to be in relationship with him. He designed us to trust and to treasure him, but every one of us rejected that call. That's what we call sin. And so the mission of God then is to make a way when there was no other way. And so Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, he comes to take our problem of sin and he takes it upon himself. And then he puts us in the context of a community, continue to pursue our greatest joy in him. This is the gospel, that God being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, he saves us, but then he doesn't just leave us, he sends us. So we've been looking at that this entire summer. What is the gospel? What is a disciple? My prayer at Vintage is that we know it's deepening with God. It's a relationship with him. Life-changing with each other. And then it's engaging with the yet to believe that, that that is what we were designed for. So let's not take our eye off the ball. Not yesterday, not today, and definitely not tomorrow. A couple weeks ago, I started what I said was part one. And today is part two of this series of what is your sweet spot? So we've been looking at our statement of faith, but what is our sweet spot? If I say I want you happier tomorrow than you are today, it's going to happen when you're operating and living in his kingdom, a part of his mission, and doing it the way that he's designed you to. 
That has something to do with your gifting. It has something to do with the needs around you. It has something to do with the joy that you have doing things. And so we started that two weeks ago when we said, what is the church? And now today we're continuing that, which is what is the mission of the church? And so again, I'm a little fired up today and I'm sorry if I talk too fast. I know that's a normal thing. Can I just tell you sincerely, I'm trying to talk slower. I am like, it's a real thing, but today's battleship Sunday. And way too often, I think we've grown up with a context of church, which is really a cruise ship mentality. Give me what I want, when I want, how I want it, programs, and come, 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 and consume, consume, consume. The problem is that is not a picture within the Bible. The picture in the Bible is of a battleship, of Jesus saying that life is short, that that hell is hot. You all know that we live on the surface of the sun, right? Like that's literal and metaphorical, that we live in the midst of people that don't trust and treasure Jesus. And there's nothing we want more than to be a part of the mission, to be saved ones that are sent ones, to seek and save the lost. And so we're a part of a battleship. That's been a metaphor we've used since day one, where every believer now is called to recognize our role and to live on mission for Christ. We carry out this mission by ourselves, being disciples who make disciples, so those three key relationships. Each one of those relationships is lived out as we grow as disciples, we make disciples. E1H1 is not a new virus, be be okay. It's that every one of us has one. That every one of us has been called to be a disciple that then makes disciples. That weekly we gather as a church, and I love being your pastor, but we gather for the purpose of scattering. Sunday really is my favorite day of the week. It's my favorite time we get together as God's people to go vertical, R1, to encourage each other, R2, but to be filled up so that we can be sent out to go live out that R3 relationship. So we gather to be scattered, to be sent. And as we scatter, we're united in Christ, through Christ, We're living on mission in our Pray Watch community so that the gospel may flow through us to reach the yet to believe. And so again, I say it all the time, but church, thank you for fighting for your joy. Thank you for being on mission. It's a privilege to be on the journey with you, to be a part of the battleship, to follow the king. Let's keep that focus as we look at the word. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Here's the statement from our statement of faith. That we believe that God's justifying grace must not separate us from his sanctifying power and purpose. He saved us to send us. And so God commands us to love him, our one, and to love others sacrificially, to live out our faith, to not just be sitting on the sidelines, but to engage in the spiritual warfare, which looks like compassion towards the poor, care for one another, justice for the oppressed, and with God's word, the Spirit's power and fervent prayer, in Christ's name, we combat spiritual forces. So in obedience to Christ's commission, we're making disciples among all people, bearing witness to the gospel in word and in deed. So again, when I talk too fast, it's just because I'm fired up. I'll try to take deep breaths, but the reality is that there's an enemy that seeks to kill and divide and destroy, and you, church, have made a commitment to put Christ on the throne, and I'm grateful for it, and it's making a difference. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come before and we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us. As we finish this series on, on thinking rightly, I pray that we as your saints would be saturated with scripture, would be filled by your spirit, and be sent by your love. And so as we look at this text where you send out the 72, Spirit, would you speak to us about what it means to me and to us and to we as a church family that are sent corporately and personally? Would you use this time to equip your saints so that you get the glory and other people step into your story, we pray. And everybody said, amen. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to kind of cover most of the chapter. Next week, we'll pick up Romans. Typically, we kind of walk through a book verse by verse. I'm excited for that. But today, we'll be finishing this broad overview of our statement of faith. And so now it's, what does the church do? What is our mission? And here we go. After this, and when we say after this, you got to know what's before this. That's why I like teaching through a book. 
It's just a lot easier to understand the flow. So if you look at your book, look back to chapter nine. A lot has been happening in the gospel. In chapter nine, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. Chapter nine, he feeds the 5,000. So he's doing little ministry, big ministry, all sorts of ministry. I think the feeding of the 5,000 is really the training of the 12, where they're like, we can't do this, Jesus. He's like, but I can, you're with me. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus tells about his death. He calls his disciples to pick up their cross to follow him. He shows up to Peter, James, and John in the transfiguration. He heals a boy of an unclean spirit. He again foretells of his death. And then disciples fight about who's the greatest. And Jesus is like, I am. That's my seat. Chapter 9, he goes on and he says, look, if anyone's not against us, they are for us. And he goes to a Samaritan village that rejects him. And then he finishes chapter 9 with, guys, pay attention. If you're going to follow me. If you're going to put me on the throne of your heart, it's going to be about my mission, not about yours. Get involved. So after this is a loaded statement. All these things have been happening. We're kind of stepping into a three-year camping trip with Jesus. We're coming towards the end of his three-year camping trip. That's what disciple-making is. Living life with people, being on mission together. And so the Lord has appointed 72. So you're seeing church growth. Church growth is not a bad thing. If we're going to live on mission and we want the yet to believe to become believers, then our church is going to grow. That's a good thing. And so the disciples are growing. Now, make no mistake, healthy growth is different than just growth growth. But there were 12 at the beginning of chapter 9 where he sends out the 12. Now he's sending out the 72. It's a beautiful picture. And he sends them out two by two. We're never sent by ourselves. See, one of the problems, if Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost and he saved us and he sends us, here's my problem. I can't save anybody. Amen? I can't. And so pay attention to the mission. He's on mission, but he's inviting us to be a part of it. I love that. I'm pretty incompetent. Anyone else incompetent out there? Just general statement, you know, like it applies in different arenas. Remember my dad one morning working on his car and he's like, hey, come help me. And I'm like, well, that's a joke, right? Like he doesn't need my help. He just wants to be with me. And so as Jesus is sending the 72, I also believe he's sending you. Make no mistake, we're not bringing something to the table. He's inviting us to his table. He's inviting us to his mission. I think the number 72 is significant. You read Genesis chapter 10. We see the 70 nations. I think even the number two by two is significant. You go read Deuteronomy 17 verse six or 19 verse 15 that we see that with two witnesses that we're going together, that we're not being sent as missionaries on an island. It's not just a personal relationship. It's a corporate one. And so we're sent together. So the Lord appoints 72 others and he sends them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So pay attention. He's not saying you need to go to the village to save them. He says, I'm going to go to the village to save them. I'm going to send you early. There's a huge distinction there. Because if you start to stress out, like, like I tell husbands all the time, your job's to get your wife ready to meet Jesus someday. Your job as a dad or as a mom is to get your kid ready to meet Jesus someday. If that doesn't overwhelm you, then you're confused on the call. I can't get myself ready to meet Jesus. So therefore, I have to recognize what is my role. So pay attention. He equips the 72 to send them out. He's going to show up. He's the evangelist in the story. Sometimes we're like, well, the 72, those are the evangelists. No, no, Jesus is the evangelist, but he's going to use you in the process. So he calls the 72, he sends them out, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what? Have you heard that at Vintage Grace ever? Like, like we've asked you since day one to set prayer alarms at 938. It comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Where again, this is the exact verse that we see Jesus cite here in Luke. He says in Matthew, he says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out kingdom laborers into the harvest. We're not even praying for converts. We're not even praying that we would be well received. We're saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of the harvest. Would you send kingdom laborers? 
Would you send people so that honestly, here's my prayer for our church. It'd be really hard to go to hell and live in Cameron Park. You know why? Because Vintage Grace people live there. Because Vintage Grace people are all over Placerville. Because you can't go down the streets of Folsom and not bump into someone who's being a missionary, who's a sent one. As pairs, as a community of faith, that's our prayer as an elder board. That's our prayer as a staff, that this would not be a story from the first century church, but of us as well. And so he himself, Jesus says, I'm about to go there. So he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Father. Father, would you send out people into your harvest? Now, I love this. Who else is fired up right now? We're going to storm the gates of hell. Are you with me? Again, that's like eight. Normally there's three on a Sunday morning. So we got eight people. Like this is what he's equipping his saints to send them. I love this for three. So go, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Wait, Jesus. Wolves means that there's trouble. You, you read that in the text? Like, like wolves means there's trouble. Wolves mean that there's an adversary to the mission. Paul says it this way in Ephesians and Philippians, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, there's three enemies to the gospel. There's an enemy himself, which we would call Satan, the prince of this error. There's an enemy of the world that's antagonistic to the gospel. By the way, the third enemy in, in Ephesians, you know who it is? Me. Because I get distracted by corn or cheese because I get distracted by the things in my life that I lose sight of what matters most, that I lose sight of the mission. And so Jesus says, you're gonna go, I'm gonna send you, be fired up, but you're gonna have opposition. In fact, have you noticed all of Jesus' sales pitches? Have you ever read the Gospels? When he's like building his squad, it's so cool. Pay attention to what he does. He says, follow me and you're gonna make lots of money. Follow me and life's gonna be easy. Have you ever noticed he never says, follow me and life's gonna be easy, ever. He actually says the opposite. Follow me and the prince of this world will hate you. The world will hate you and they will reject you. But they don't reject you, they reject me. Pay attention. Jesus never recruits chapter nine. We just, we just looked at it. He says, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Where is Jesus going when he picks up his cross? To die. He's inviting us to die to ourselves so we may live with him forever. Amen. So, so pay attention. Jesus never promises easy about the gospel. He just says it's worth it, but it's gonna cost you something. There are wolves, there are adversaries. That's a real thing. I spent a lot of my time in kind of my role of coaching pastors and way too often pastors are like, everything's going really easy. And I, I mess them up because then I'm like, maybe it shouldn't be going easy if you're storming the gates of hell. And they're like, oh shoot. I'm like, you don't have to like manufacture drama. That's what I'm asking for either. But understand, there are wolves and they hate the kingdom of God advancing. And so we must be praying people. Our posture is like lambs. Do lambs scare anybody in this room? Wolves do, but not lambs. In fact, lambs are normally led to slaughter. Pay attention, other world religions, they're fighting, they're forcing. The gospel lays down their rights for the advancement of the kingdom. There's a huge difference in the gospel. There's a huge difference in kingdom living. And so our journey is marked by opposition and it's marked by a posture of lambs that are following, why? Because lambs have a good shepherd. Because a good shepherd knows the final score, because a good shepherd takes care of his sheep and of his lambs, and so please hear me, when we're going out into the mission field, there's gonna be opposition, but we have a good shepherd. We already know the final score. Somebody say amen. amen. Like we spend so much time stressed out about the cat in the video, and we forget, no, the mission's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. Do we trust him? And so church, if you're like me, the answer is usually, well, not enough. Help me with my lack of faith, Jesus. Help me believe that you're better is better. So he says, go, I am sending you out as lambs with that posture in the midst of wolves without opposition. And now I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'll be a lamb, but just give me my MacGyver fanny pack. 
right? Just so that I'm prepared, so that I'm ready. And then you get to verse four, carry no manna bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I'm like, I'm out, Jesus. Like, you want me to go with wolves? That's fine. You want me to go with a posture of a lamb? You're the good shepherd, I'm fine. But I've got to be equipped. Here's what Jesus says. You are fully equipped to storm the gates of hell. You don't need anything. You just need me. Like, don't miss this. Our journey is marked by prayer and by provision. For eight years as a church, I've asked you, would you covenant with me? And would you start every day with this simple prayer? God, what are you inviting me into today? We make stickers, not because they're cool. We make stickers because you and I forget. We make stickers because we're easily distracted by what matters most. We we make stickers so it's on our water bottle and it's on our car and it's on our phone so that we don't forget what is the mission and the mission is worth it. And there's gonna be opposition, but we don't need anything. We just need Jesus. So we pray in the morning, God, what are you inviting me into? 9.38, our alarm goes off and you're like, Drew, we just prayed in the morning. I've already forgot by 9.38. Am I the only one? 9.38, we say more of a prayer for our two and our three. This isn't our one prayer. God, what are you doing in my life? I want to be about what you're doing. 9.38, the alarm goes off. I say, I want to be about the harvest. I want to be about your mission. So there's an our one prayer in the morning. There's an our three prayer. He says this, carry no money bag, no knapsack. You don't need MacGyver's toothpick or paperclip or tube socks. Like you don't need those. No sandals. In fact, as you're walking, don't greet anybody on the road and you're like, wait a second, I thought the mission was to meet people on the road. Pay very close attention when Jesus gives you a mission. The mission that he just sent them on was for the villages, not for the road. How about you? But I get distracted all the time by road things. He says, no, the road is a gateway to get to the village, the people where the village are, and in their cultural context, they'd meet someone on the road and they would have conversation for hours. See, I'm still convinced in our context in the kingdom of God, Satan is not attacking us with cancer. He's attacking us with comfort. Pay very close attention. When we get the cancer diagnosis, then we remember, oh, that's right, I'm desperate, I'm dependent, I need God. When we're in the middle of comfort, we're fully distracted. We're grabbing corn, we're grabbing cheese, we're totally distracted. When we're on the road, I think we're distracted by conversation sometimes. We're distracted by conversation that takes us away from the mission. Don't hear me say that conversations aren't bad. Don't hear me say that that comfort isn't evil. But if it's distracting you from the mission, it is. Any and everything that is blocking my ability to be focused on the mission of God is a distraction from his glory and from my good. Now, again, that's something to journal about. What are the things that are distracting me from the mission of God? I promise you, it's probably not cancer. Cancer drives you to the glory of God. It's comfort. It's corn, whatever metaphor fills that in for you. It's conversations on the road that are not about the kingdom. It's conversations about the Golden State Warriors. Now, I love the Warriors. I love the 49ers. I have issues with the Giants right now, make no mistake. But I love my sports, but if my sports are distracting me from the mission of God, they're actually not of God, they're actually being used of the enemy. Amen? Amen. Only women said amen, talking about sports being a distraction. I don't know where that came from. But church, pay attention. Your job? your home, whatever it might be. If it's distracting you, pay very close attention. There's missional clarity. And for the disciples here, they're like, wait, wait, but I need this, I need this, I need Jesus. You don't need anything. Let me take all of that away so you can be folks what matters most. The verse just before this passage, the end of chapter nine, he tells the disciples, again, leave your father and mother. Let the dead bury the dead. You don't have to be distracted by things that are not about the mission of God. So he sends us with this journey that's marked by prayer, it's marked by his provision, it has great missional clarity. Verse five, and whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. 
He says, you get to places and you knock on the door. We're praying as a church for people of peace. In the early church, they would regularly get in conversations. Think about the time of Nero, the persecution of the church. Even as we step back into Romans or Revelation last semester, that regularly early Christians, they would draw half of a fish on the dirt as they would interact with each other. Why? Because they wanted to know, could you draw the other half? Were you a safe person? Were we speaking the same language? Are we on the same team? Are you a person of peace? Jen and I have talked about this with our cancer journey. My oldest son said cancer twice and a bone marrow transplant. When we talk to other cancer families, we'll say things like, yeah, how about his ANC? How about his neutrophil count? How about his platelets? And again, I look at some people and John's like, what's a platelet? It's a different language. Whole different conversation. Church, it's not that we don't care about the things of this world. We just recognize that they're all gonna fade and pass away. And so our focus is on the mission. Our focus is on eternity. Our focus is on understanding that we are people of peace and it's not peace about how bad the the 49ers are doing. It's not peace about health or about wealth. It's peace not just about today, but about an eternity of tomorrows. And so when he says, look for the person of peace, he says this, enter peace be to this house. Do you have a common language? Are you on the same kingdom residency? And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If it's not, it'll return to you. If it does, then you remain in that same house and you eat and drink. Remember, culturally for them, eating and drinking was a huge sign of covenant. You did that with people that you loved and that you trusted you were in relationship with. And make no mistake, Jesus ate with sinners. He loved sinners. He cared about them deeply. That's good news, because anyone in here been a sinner before? He eats with them. And he says, let's break bread, let's have covenant and eat them and they will provide for you. Again, you didn't bring anything, I'm gonna provide for you, Jesus says, through my people, through other people, for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go on from the house. I am moving, I am working, you get to be a part of it. Whenever you enter into a town and they receive you, eat what is there before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, Luke 6, Luke 9, verse 60, missional clarity. Very focused on what matters most. When we preach the word and people accept it, then we continue on ministering with them. There's healing that comes from that. Those who reject the word, there's still another deed. So there's the word proclaimed and then there's a deed. If they accept the word, he says, go on and heal the sick in that town. And make sure you make it clear that what they really need is not physical healing, but spiritual healing. That's what he means when he says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Yes, I'm gonna heal you. Every time through the gospels, when Jesus does a a miracle, it's followed by a message. It's not about the miracle. It's about the eternal healing that every one of us needs. It's about the kingdom of God. And so if they accept the word, continue on doing ministry. If they reject the word, there's also an action, a deed of proclaiming. Here's what he says. But whenever you enter a town and they say, do not, they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust on your town that clings to our feet, we wipe them off against you. Nevertheless, you know that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it was for that town. Now, when you hear me read those verses, are the disciples angry? I think it's important that we wrestle with this. Way too often I've been a part of Christian communities where we preach the gospel in anger and with wrath. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news for the lost. It's good news for the sick. It's good news for the brokenhearted. So as we preach the gospel, please hear and what I think Jesus is saying here. The kingdom of God has come near to you. If they reject that offer, he doesn't say go out in the streets and be like, well, you stink. You've rejected Jesus. In fact, what happened last chapter in chapter nine, we see some of the disciples in the Samaritan village. The Samaritan village rejects Jesus. And what do they do? Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and blow them up? I've met Christians like that. That's not the kingdom of God. 
In the kingdom of God, we are beggars that have found food. That's who we are, church. Amen? We are saints that have struggled with sin, that Jesus has set us free from that captivity. We are people that are no longer bound by who we are, but defined by what he's done for us. And so please hear me. When we preach the gospel, we're looking for people of peace. How do other people of peace? They open the door. They give us a seat. They invite us in for food. Church, I tell you, when you're living as a missionary, don't answer a question for someone that they're not asking. Way too often, we're trying to shove the gospel down their throats. Guys, we're lambs. We're lambs that just tell people about the good shepherd. That's who we are. And when people reject the good shepherd, it doesn't make us angry. It makes us heartbroken. We don't go out and say, Jesus, should we blow him up? And Jesus is like, seriously? How thankful are we that Jesus doesn't do that to us? Amen? Because that's what we deserve. That's who we are. We were the lost ones that are now found. He says this, nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. We're just faithfully inviting people into the invitation that Jesus made for us. When they reject our invitation, pay attention. We dust off our, our sandals because there's a next village to go to. We dust off our sandals because there's more people that need to hear the gospel. But we're not angry with the yet to believe church. Our job is to fight for the world, not with the world. Amen? And we've been distracted by that. We've been distracted these last few years, I feel like, as a big C, especially in America, by fighting with the world instead of recognizing we fight for them. Our heart is breaking when they reject Jesus. So even in the rejection, we dust off our feet, but we say this, nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I know you don't believe it, but it's still here. Like, no matter how much I want to believe the Giants are going to come back and win the pennant, it ain't going to happen. Amen? All you Dodger fans, I know you exist. There's more of you than there are us. I get it. He says this, nevertheless, dust off your feet, stay focused on what matters most. Stay focused on the kingdom, stay focused on the advancement and kingdom movement. And he says that, know that, that's what's coming. So church, please hear me. Our theology must match our tone and our timing. We must be heartbroken. If we're not heartbroken over people rejecting Jesus, then we don't understand that Jesus found us. Maybe we too are still lost. And so we must recognize that as he prepares to send us. He goes on, woe to you, Chorizon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. Capernaum, you were like the hometown of Jesus' ministry and you rejected. And my fear is so often we can overteach and underreach with the gospel. We can have all the head knowledge in the world, but if it hasn't penetrated our hearts, if our heart doesn't break for the brokenhearted, if our heart doesn't break for those who are rejecting Jesus, then maybe it's not actually coming out through our hands too. Our head, our heart, and our hands are all intersected here. Verse 16, the one who hears me, Jesus says, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, Jesus says, actually rejects him who sent me. So he's preparing to send his disciples, to send his missionaries, and to recognize that, hey, there's going to be wolves, and they're going to reject you, and that's not on you. It's actually on me and my father. Don't worry. They're the ones that are going to save. Trust them. Trust me. Don't trust others. Don't even trust yourself, he says on some level. Going to verse 17, the 72 then returned with what, church? I want you to see it. You know, it's like my favorite word in the Bible. It's our number one value as, as a church, that there's more what? Joy. joy in Jesus. I've just been a part of too many churches that are like, joy to the world. <laughs> Guys, we were dead in our sin. The gospel says he made us alive in Christ. What does that make us? Like happy. We're dead men walking. That's who we are. We're dead men walking who have been sent into the harvest that is plentiful to tell them about Jesus. And not everyone's going to accept. There's going to be wolves that are going to reject. There's going to be villages that are going to reject. But sometimes they're going to accept. Sometimes they're going to hear the gospel and the spirit of God is going to remove the blinders from their eyes and they're going to be like, I'm in. I hear you, Jesus. And it's not about us. We don't save people. It's about them meeting Jesus who does save. 
And so here's what I love about our Sunday gatherings. Sunday gatherings for me is like, it's the sacred space because the best part of our Sunday gatherings is not the stories, it's not the singing, it's not the sermon. The best part is what? It's the sending. We send you to be missionaries. Then on Sundays, what do we do? We come back together. I feel like this is a family reunion every Sunday. And we come back together and same thing for life groups. Tuesday nights, you come back to life group on a Tuesday night and you're like, man, this week was tough. This week was hard. I had someone tell me a story about their life group. They're like, yeah, I showed my life group leader. My marriage is messed up. And the life group leader says, yeah, Drew said that's because you're a part of it, right? Because that's like my go-to marriage joke. Your marriage has issues the moment you joined it. So life group's about licking our wounds. It's about repenting. It's about saying, man, I, I missed the mark. I got distracted by the corn. I got distracted by the enemy and the cat. It's about missing the mark. And so life group brings us back to the mission, Brings back to R1, to R2, to being sent as R3. Sunday morning brings us back to the mission. We tell stories of his grace. We sing songs of his glory, a message on his goodness, and then we send you to go. That's what our Sunday gatherings are. So I love Sundays because it's like this family reunion. Hey, how'd your week go? It was tough. It was hard. But on Sundays, we center ourselves by the good news that we know the final score. So we don't have to freak out at halftime. We don't have to be depressed and, and, and get stuck in despair. Do we have sorrow in the church? Absolutely, but no despair because we know the final score. So that's what we see in, in this text. The 72, they went out on mission Monday through Friday and then they come back and good things have happened on the mission. Good things are happening at our church, not on Sunday, but on Monday through Friday. The 72 then return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They know where the power comes from. It's not in them. It's the name of Jesus. Lord, as we went, and Jesus is like, yeah, I saw as you guys went, Satan was falling like lightning from heaven. Now, we parsed this a little bit back in our Revelation series. Here's the good news. Is Monday going to be hard this week? Absolutely. He never promised it was going to be easy. He promised it would be worth it, and he promised that the final score is sealed. Amen? Amen. And so we come back together, and we're like, Jesus. Do you know what happened on Monday? He's like, well, yeah, because it was in my name. I was with you. It was actually my power through you. And you got to have your joy in Jesus doubled in another. There is no greater joy than seeing someone who doesn't trust Jesus start to trust Jesus. Amen? And again, I think way too often in Church of America, we're like, well, that, that's the pastor's job. Well, here's the good news. Who's the pastors of our church? I'm looking at them. It is. It's a follower of Jesus' job to now be a sent one to live on mission. And there's just nothing greater than being used by God and watching him do his thing for his glory and the good of that other person. I have a guy that's been on my pray watch list for, for years, just praying and watching and just recently gave his life to Christ. Is there anything better than that moment? No. I didn't save him. I didn't do anything. I got to see God, the Lord of the harvest, raise up a new kingdom labor. And so the 72, they return in joy saying, Jesus, you'll never believe what happened. He's like, what do you mean I'll never believe? It's what I do. It's who I am. I make dead people alive. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, behold, I gave you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Church, does anyone else feel just a little more powerful right now as I read those verses? He's talking about saints. I've given you the power and the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you, church. Nothing. Now there's wolves. There's a big cat in the, in the Mickey Mouse movie. There's distractions. Nothing will hurt you. But pay attention to what Jesus says here. He says this, don't get so happy with the power because on some level, they've missed it. On some level, they're like, Jesus, this is amazing. He's like, it is amazing. It's awesome. The kingdom has come. My will will be done. Look at what he says. Nevertheless, though, do not rejoice in this power that the spirits are subject to you. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are a son or a daughter of the king. Now, I consider that to be hashtag blessed, 
Now, now one of my missions in the Church of America is to really wrestle with the word blessed. Because we think that blessed means the white picket fence, a 100K job, which I know with inflation means 150K, now I get that. It means two and a half kids, because America could never decide, is it two or three? Like, we think that's blessed. Jesus says, follow me and you will be blessed. The word in the Bible is markekos, it's happy. It's hashtag blessed. I want you to be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed biblically? That you're a son or daughter of the king. That's what it means. It doesn't mean what you have, it means that he has you, amen? That changes everything. Possession does change everything. He designed you, he created you, he loves you, he's pursuing you, you're here today to be reminded by him, he loves you. Yeah, but my marriage has issues. Yep, he loves you. Yeah, but my money's a train. He loves you. Yeah, but you don't know about my hidden sin. He loves you. He loves you. You wanna be blessed? Receive the love of Jesus, it's that simple. You can't earn it. You will never deserve it. It's a gift. It's grace that was given to you. That's what it means to be blessed. He says, don't rejoice in the power you have or you don't have. Don't rejoice in the house you have or you don't have. Don't rejoice in the spouse you have or you don't have. Rejoice that you are a son or daughter of the king. That's your identity. And from that, everything else flows, that you are a son or a daughter. He goes on and explains this more. In the same hour, Jesus rejoiced. He's like, guys, I want you happy, not in what you have, but in who has you. And I rejoice because the Father has you. He says, I rejoice in the Spirit. And he says, I thank you, Father, Father, Son, Spirit, three in one. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. You've hidden them from the understanding, and you revealed it then to little children. That's us. That's his disciples. Yes, Father, for such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, who the Father is except the Son, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Hashtag blessed, he tells us. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, you are blessed. Blessed are those and the eyes that have seen what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Church, he's simply saying, no one has it better than you. You're son or daughter of the king. Yeah, but life is hard, but cancer is real, but brokenness is sincere. It is, but it's about his story and his reclamation for his glory. Blessed, and he rejoices over blessing you. He rejoices at bringing you home. Baptisms last week were awesome. Seeing men and women say, I'm getting off the throne of my heart, and I'm choosing to trust and treasure you. Marcus, your testimony. You are saved to be sent. And again, I told you guys, Marcus was on my prey watches. We've never had a kingdom conversation, ever. But I know our people are living on mission, walking them through what is the gospel. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be sent? There's nothing better than watching the Marxists of the world get off the throne of their heart and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. But there's going to be wolves. Yep. We're with you, bro. We're in this journey together. We're not giving up. He's not giving up on us. And this is what we want for you. One of my fears as a pastor is everyone's like, yeah, kingdom movement, it's so cool. It's you. It's you. It's why I'm so proud to be the pastor here at Vintage. Because you all are fighting for your joy. You're living on mission. Because Folsom Lake College has a ton of missionaries that are going to class this week. Because Oak Ridge High School has people that are living on mission. Not just the teachers. I love our teachers too. But it's the students. It's the students that are storming the gates of hell. They're saying, man, I am blessed. And pay attention to what he says. Blessed are you that get to be a part of this kingdom movement. We are blessed at Vintage Grace because through us, God is storming the gates of hell. He says, prophets and kings. First Peter says, angels. In 1 Peter, it says this, the angels long to look down and see what's happening at Vintage Grace. They long to look down and see the movement of God, not to us as a church, but through you as sent ones. 
through you as the missionaries that are living in your cul-de-sac, that are living in your real estate offices, in your dentist offices, in your homeschool co-ops, the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it already is in heaven. Sons and daughters are coming back to the Father. That's what it means to be blessed. And we get to be a part of it. So the angels look down and say, man, that is what it is all about. That's the mission of God. And so at the end of, of every sermon, we have this slide that says implications. It's my translation of so what. I've told you before, my great fear in the Church of America is we can overteach and underreach. We can have all sorts of head knowledge, R1, R2, R3. We can know all the hashtags, which I think are funny because I don't tweet. I don't even know what a hashtag is supposed to be used for. We can have all the head knowledge, but if it hasn't penetrated our hearts, if it doesn't come out through our hands, if it doesn't change the way that we're spending our time, our treasure, and our talent, then again, we're, we're just a, a, a noisy symbol. We're not actually focused on being the living proof of a loving God, and that's where I'm just grateful to serve alongside you on this battleship. The mission is clear. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, and he's using you as found ones to be sent ones to do that. So three implications. The implication for me is, so, so now how, how do we do this? What do we do on Monday, guys? Well, here's how it starts. If you saw in the text, prayer is the work. I wanna invite you to pull out this thing that was on your seat. It's called the Pray Watch Card. So much of who we are as a church has been defined by the fact that the way in which we fight battles, because Jesus already won, is that we believe that prayer is the work. That we pray, that we don't save people, we pray to the Lord of the harvest who does. And so I wanna kinda give you a homework assignment right now. You can start it today and we'll finish it this week, but on the back side of this card, it says communities and the places and spaces that I live. Would you start writing things down? Would you write down the address of your office? Would you write down your home address? Don't look at me, actually write it on your card. Just start writing, where are the places and spaces that you go? Well, I go to Oak Ridge High School because my son almost has his license and I won't have to go to Oak Ridge anymore, right? These are the places I go. I go to this Starbucks, I go to this gym, I go to soccer practice every Monday and Wednesday afternoon. Where are the places and spaces that you go? Because I believe according to the text, he's sending you. He's gone before you. So just start to identify where are those spaces? What are the communities? I think part of the, what brings me the greatest joy at Vintage Grace is watching you live as sent ones. And on the backside, it says my pray watch list. At Vintage Grace, since day one, we've encouraged people to have a list of people that they're saying, these are the communities I go to and these are the people that keep showing up. So on the back side of that card, I invite you to just start writing down names. Who are the people that you can just start praying for? You're like, I can't save them. Drew, you never could, <laughs> but you can pray for them. You can pray to the Lord of the harvest. Lord, would you do a work in my barista's life? In fact, some people on my pray watches don't even have names. It's just like the redhead barista at Starbucks. It's the guy with curly hair that just started. I don't know who they are yet, but God knows who they are, amen? And he's put us there to pray and to watch. He's put us there in place and space. So I want to encourage you this weekend, take some time. Start filling out this list, just 10 people. Colossians chapter four says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God would open a door for us for the word of God. That's the mission. Don't get distracted by the corn. Don't get distracted by the enemy. Don't get distracted. Well, I'm not equipped. I don't have MacGyver's knapsack. You don't need it. The Spirit of God is in you. Amen? If you are saved, then you are sealed, and then you are sent. And so pray watch is a way in which we say implication. So, so what do I do with Luke 10? It's time to start storming the gates of hell. And it starts, we sing that song. It starts by fighting our battles on our knees with our hands lifted up. God, you're the Lord of the harvest. Would you pray? And so again, I'm going to ask you, 
Would you commit with me this fall? Maybe you're new here, maybe you've been here for a while, maybe you've been here for a while and, and you've been distracted. My alarm goes off every day at 9.38. You're like, but Drew, why, why does it go off? Because I need to be reminded of the mission. Would you covenant with me? This is the audience participation point in the morning. Just raise your hand. Would you pray with me at 9.38 this whole fall? Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand, keep them up. Thank you. Would you set your alarm and say, Lord, I'm gonna ask that you would send kingdom laborers. I'm gonna ask that you would do a work. Because here's what I love as a pastor. There's no greater joy than seeing someone come to faith. There's no greater joy for me than watching you be used by God to nudge someone else to Jesus. Don't disengage from the gospel. Recognize that again, God has got his kingdom here and he's placed you here to be a part of building that. And so prayer is the work. And I look forward to hearing stories this fall. I'm looking forward to Romans, but even more so, I'm looking forward to you living out the gospel on Monday. And what does that look like for us as a church? Here's the second implication. Our faithfulness matters. God doesn't need us, but he's invited us to help work on the truck, metaphorically. He's invited us to have a role to play in the building of his kingdom. And Next Steps is a great way to do that. It's going to be launching next week. We say disciples are made here. That's not about here at Vintage. That's about here wherever you're working on the truck. It's about here on the baseball field. It's about here at your high school. It's about here in your, in your women's group. It's about here at your tea party. I'm never going to minister to someone at a tea party. You recognize that, right? No one's ever invited me to a tea party. But you are. You're there. You're the set one in those places and spaces. And please hear me, church. Methods are negotiable. The master is not. But our commitment as a church is that we'll be focused to be faithful in the proclamation, flexible, we'll shake off the dust. No big deal. You reject Jesus, that's fine. He hasn't rejected you. And we'll pray and we'll watch. And the third word in that prayer process is pray, watch, and step. Would we be faithful? If you covenant to actually pray that prayer, Lord, what are you inviting me to every morning? And if you covenant to say, God, would you send kingdom laborers? Would I have a list of people? Would you open my eyes? I promise you there will be steps that he will invite you into this fall for kingdom movement. And there's no greater joy than being in the sweet spot of his mission with him being master and us being the sent ones. And here's the third implication. Prayer is the work. Our faithfulness matters, but his faithfulness matters most. He's already won. We don't have to be overwhelmed. We will not save El Dorado Hills, but Jesus will. He will send people to be on mission, to pray, to watch, and to step. And the mission is clear. And so church, it's great joy. There's great urgency. Like I know I talk too fast. Mostly it's rooted in that I'm just so dang excited that the kingdom of God is here. Mostly it's rooted in knowing the final score. Mostly it's just rooted in the fact that life is short, that hell is hot, that we live on the surface of the sun. May that be a reminder. When you're sweating way too much this week, would you remember that Jesus is the living water? Amen? that we are the sent ones to engage for his glory and for our good. Would you continue to be people that pray and watch and step? And what I love is you go out in pairs. I love the pray watch overlap. It happens all the time. It happens when I'm sitting at the dentist and he's like, oh yeah, someone from your soccer team just left. And I'm like, how cool is that? My dentist who loves Jesus, I who love Jesus, we're ministering to the same person in different ways. And I love when dentists minister, right? Because like they ask you questions as they're shoving things down your throat. It's like a captive audience. Like, I love our dentist. Be a missionary. Or I love taking airplane rides. You know, you sit down on the airplane seat and, and you're just praying. You're just watching. Lord, can I just encourage someone? Can I just nudge them? You're the Lord of the harvest. You're writing their story. We get to play just such a minor role in that. And I'm always bummed because they put their AirPods in. I'm like, dang, that's like the universal don't talk to me about Jesus sign, right? But I just pray for an opportunity. I'm not trying to jump down their throat. I'm living like a lamb. I'm praying, I'm watching, I'm looking for people of peace, and I'm stepping for kingdom movement. And there's just nothing better than watching you live the sentence. So church, just thank you. 
Thank you for being people that pray, that watch, that step. Let's keep praying for people of peace. Let's keep praying for open doors. Let's have a pray watch list that covers every person in the cities that our church represents. Hundreds of thousands of people that we get to minister to as a church because you are scattered every Sunday to be the living proof of a loving God. And you are not alone in this mission. He is the king of it, and he sent you with the church family to do it. And so I want to share a pray watch story. It's a story of, of two brothers. It's a story of a brother by the name of Tim Cockrell. He's with Jesus right now. He passed away. He's preached here before. He's been a leader here for a long time. He's with Jesus. But it's a story about his pray watch list from someone who was on his pray watch list. And to see how God is moving when we as his people would humble ourselves and pray and watch and step. So let's listen to Tim's brother, Michael, as he shares about Tim's pray watch list. My name is Michael Cockrell. I've been coming to Vintage Grace for almost two years, probably. My wife had been going to this other church and I hadn't been going to church for a while. Then when, when Tim got cancer, it was kind of like, I'm gonna spend every minute I can with him. So why don't we try that church? Um, Drew talks a lot about um, uh, get off the, the throne of your heart, right? Or the one cheek faith. Yeah, I was like fully planted with hands gripping on the stool. I was right here, you know? I had just kind of grown away, um, got busy, so to speak, um, maybe a little burnout on some things and uh, just was doing my own thing. And I was, I was gripping tight. And Tim would regularly, you know, have the guys over to his house, play cornhole or, or whatever. There were plenty of, of times during that where I wasn't going to church at that time and I wasn't um, connected at that level, but we, the whole group always still made everybody feel like we're, we're family. With Tim, I'm sure there was a lot of prayer around that, but it was everywhere he went, he would connect to the guy at the grocery store or the gas station person or the guy next to him pumping gas. I had the opportunity to go with him to his oncologist, um, his last oncologist appointment, where he made the, the decision to um, transition from, from treatment to hospice. About a week later, all the guys were texting saying, hey, we gotta get together. I miss you guys. And I said, let's do it at my house. Tim won't be able to make it, but let's just, let's meet at my house. And a bunch of guys showed up. And I had Tim um, FaceTime in with everybody. And he talked to everybody for, I don't know, it was probably like 30 seconds. It's about all he could muster. But it was beautiful. And it was a beautiful night. Um, and guys connected, guys connected that night on a different level. All of us did. The next day, I, I got a text from Tim. And he said, I just wanted to tell you how overwhelmed with joy I was at seeing everyone there last night. I was in tears as God brought to mind a time years ago when I sat in the back of the old worship building at VG and wept. 
when I thought of how you were not experiencing joy in Jesus and true community. I remember we had a conversation later. You said Donna wanted you to go to church. And you said you would go with her, but, but didn't want to expect you to go every week. I remember saying to you, what if? Just what if you want to go every week? What if you're missing it? Or what if you hate missing it? To see where you are now, experiencing that joy and finding community overwhelmed me with joy and so many tears. I mentioned in the, um, at his service that, that uh, I, I knew that I was on his pray watch list. I never saw his list. I didn't need to. I, I just knew that he wa that I was, because I know Tim, and he knows a lot of people, and his list is probably massive. You know, I I guess it's probably still not Tim. It's the Holy Spirit using Tim as a vessel, and I just more and more that's my prayer. My, I'm digging in. I let me be that vessel.